Welcome to Foster Carolinas, connecting the Carolinas to voices of foster care. It's newsflash time with your bestie gals, Madison and Abby. Oh, I'm excited for our newsflash. Because, surprise, it's Susanna (laughs) and not Madison, but also... Uh, I told you about using the, the word excited. I did one time. This was the first time. Okay, well, let's think of a different okay, word. From here on out, I promise I won't use the word excited. Uh, starting now. I am really happy about today's news. Me as well. <laughs> um, This week, we are celebrating foster parents. Yay! Foster parent appreciation. There's going to be bouncies and food and... Oh, the best food. I face painting wait. and... All those things. We're going to have so much fun. And I'm so glad that, see, glad, there you are. I'm so glad that we're going to have the opportunity to show them how much they mean to us. Because they do so much. Absolutely. And they are all so cutie pie. Don't you think? <laughs> I feel Madison, like, is I, that you? I thought I needed to bring in one of Madison's <laughs> words, cutie pie. You did great. Uh, period. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's my best impression of Madison. Your face when you did that. That was great. I'm so that that was fun. That was fantastic. Okay, really. So this is newsflash though. Yeah. So um newsflash is we need more counselors. Yes. Oh, please. We have started interviews with our counselors and they're going phenomenally. Fabulous. And I do not want anyone to miss out on that. I want you to apply to be a Bridge Camp counselor. We still need you. These kids need you. And I want, I mean, you need it. You need the experience. I totally believe that everyone needs a Bridge Camp experience. It has fully changed my outlook and perspective. 100%. And if we did not talk about um, the Be the Difference concert, oh, yes. what else would we talk about? Mac Powell's coming to town for a city and Brandon Heath. And without further ado, here <laughs> is Mac Powell himself. I am so excited to have today with us in in the studio, Mac Powell. Um, Welcome, Mac. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, So we have a couple of questions. We asked our um, supporters to kind of weigh in on what they wanted to ask you. So we're going to kind of start with the music part of it, and then we'll go on into foster care and and why you want to help us with this event. But um, somebody wanted to know, how long have you been in the music industry? Oh goodness, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not entirely sure because it depends on when you start counting. Uh, we started the third day towards the very end of '92 slash early '93, so you know it's about 30 years, 31 years, something like that of, of being in music. Now, we went. I, I tell people all the time with third day we were a five-year overnight success. So we were around for quite a while before anybody knew who we were. If you didn't live in the Atlanta metro area, you probably had never heard of Third Day those first five years. Uh, but we would play, you know, at churches and for Sunday school classes. And we we were the band at a at a camp for two summers. And those those things added up and added up. And pretty soon, word got out, and then we signed our first record deal in uh in 90 towards the end of 95 and the record came out in 96 so do the math from 
2022 to you know back from the 96 so whatever that is i don't know how many years that is that's a lot of years <laughs> so and you where did you get started i guess you, third day is how y'all got started is how we got started mark lee and myself went to high school together we were in a garage band together that was terrible it was called nuclear hoedown and uh <laughs> Our dream goal was to get to South Carolina and North Carolina one day and do concerts. That was like us taking over the world if we were able to do that. And we never quite got to that with with uh, Nuclear Hoedown. And so fast forward a few years later, we'd met David Carr, our drummer, and Ty Anderson, our bass player. They went to church together and uh, and we formed what became Third Day. And then, then we got to South Carolina and North Carolina quite a bit over the years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I bet you did. Well, that's perfect since we serve the Carolinas. I think that's great that you're coming back. Did you always um, know that you wanted to be a singer? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I my parents tell me that I've been singing since I could talk. And my, I was always around music. Both my parents play guitar and sing. So I was constantly around it. I, I grew up singing in choir at church and doing solos as a little kid. And being in musicals in high school and uh, choir in high school and marching band. And so I was always around music and loved it, but it wasn't, I didn't really start doing, you know, kind of modern music until later on in high school days when, when I was in that garage band with Mark and, uh, you know, fell in love with it, always wanted to be in a band and finally was. And then this radical thing happened. I started reading the Bible really for the first time, even though I grew up in church and got saved when I was a kid, I really started reading the Bible right before I graduated high school and the Lord grabbed hold of my heart. And from that, I wanted to, I didn't even know what Christian music was. I just knew I wanted to make music that shared my faith. And, and Mark, when I told him I was, I was going to give up on this garage band cause I was singing some songs I didn't need to be singing and I <laughs> out in places I didn't need to be hanging out in. He said, well, why? I said, the Lord's, you know, I'm, I'm giving him control of my whole life. And he said, well, why don't we start a Christian band? I said, I don't, what is that? I don't know <laughs> what that is. And that, you know, became third day. Oh, that is so cool. I'm going to have to look up Nuclear Hoedown. I wonder if we can find some YouTube videos. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, so one of our folks wanted to know, how do you balance family time and life on the road? That's a great question. I think for me, when I'm home, I'm home. And when I'm gone, I'm gone. So when I'm on the road, that's when I try to catch up on all the stuff that I want to do in the sense of going to see movies or going to a ball game or any, you know, that kind of stuff, hanging out with the guys. That that hanging out with my buds is time on the road. And when I'm home, I'm home. There's not a lot of, someone asked me a few months back, they said, where do you go when you meet people to have coffee? And I'm like, I don't. I don't go me. I don't go have coffee with people. I'm when I'm home, I'm home. And so I think that's the balance. Uh, for the most part, I try to serve my family when I'm home and, and to do all, all the other stuff when I'm, when I'm on the road. That's awesome. Um, as an entertainer, how do you keep yourself enthusiastic for your audience, particularly if you're singing the same songs night after night? <laughs> you know, it's, that's a question I've been asked a lot of times, and it, I, I wish that I could help people to understand that it, it really is, uh, it's a different night every night, even though you're singing some of the song, same songs and telling some of the same jokes and all those things it's different every night. There's a different response every night. And there, there are definitely, of course, it's not way different. There's similarities in every night, but it's different enough to where, you know, you still love it. Like you take someone, I went to the Braves game last night, took my son to the Braves game 
And I know there are probably some players that just get bored to death doing the same thing over and over, but they have fun playing that game, even though it's the same game every day. You play a different team, you got a different audience, sometimes different places. And so it's the same with me, uh, with anybody else that loves doing this. It's like, you know, I've been doing it for 30 years or whatever, close to 30 years. And I still, this is what I want to do for my whole life. I love it. I still, and thankfully, you know, with sports, you reach a certain age and you're done. That's not necessarily true with music. You can keep going on. Uh, it is a young man's game, of course, but you can still continue on when you get older in life. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. That's awesome. Um, so now we're going to get more into probably our realm of things. Um, so would you explain your journey of adoption after having older children? Mm, yeah. Well, Amy and I, my wife and I, we're about to celebrate 20 year, 27 years of marriage in July. And we dated in high school. We were high school sweethearts. And when we got to that point where we got really serious after a couple of years with, with our relationship, you know, you start having those conversations of what would marriage look like? If we get married, do you, would you like to have kids? Do you not want to have kids? And all those questions. And we both worked at an after school program at a, at a church. And it was a very diverse group of kids. There were Asian kids and black kids and white kids and Hispanic kids. And it was really a, a small kind of glimpse of heaven in, in my view. Um, and I just loved that these kids, you know, they became a part of our lives and mm -hmm. we loved them like, like we were their uncles and aunts. And we just always had that in the back of our brains. And when we were dating, we talked about one day, maybe if we were to get married, we might adopt. And so we got married and fast forward a few years later and you have some kids. And then we got to a point where we had our third child and we had some good friends uh, that had adopted. And, you know, I blame Stephen Curtis Chapman for a lot of this. Absolutely. <laughs> because Stephen and Mary Beth had, had uh, adopted and, and really he went on the road and just was an evangelist for adoption. And I remember seeing him in Nashville one night and just shaking my head going, oh man, not me, not me. But I was reminded of, of how Amy and I felt when we were, you know, dating and, and talking about that. And um, we had some of our closest friend, family friends, the Nasser family, David and Jennifer Nasser. they had adopted a little boy, Rudy from Guatemala. And it just, we saw the joy that that brought to them and how that little boy's life was changed. And so we wanted to be part of that. We wanted to do something like that and, and, you know, was intentional about, uh, wanting to reach out. There were so many, uh, so many African-American kids in the state of Georgia in the city of Atlanta and in the state of Georgia that needed homes. And, and we knew we were, our home was open to that. Uh, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't put down, you have to fill out, you know, form after form after form. And we just said we were open to anything and um, got a call uh, about a little boy. And some, there's, there's a lot, the story's a lot longer than this, of course, but a uh, call about a little boy and uh, he was a month old and we saw him and just prayed about it and, and took him home the next day. And, then you fast forward uh, uh, almost exactly a year later, Emmanuel was about to turn, uh, it was a week before his birthday. And uh, the earthquake in Haiti had happened. And we had sent out uh, an email to two or three uh, adoption agencies because we'd heard about a lot of kids that were going to be brought to Atlanta, not necessarily to be adopted, but just needed a home for a little while, whether that was a week or a month or whatever. 
And so we send an email to those organizations say, hey, we're, we're available uh, to take in some kids and, and to take care of them for a while if, if you need a home. And um, I was doing a, a concert here in Atlanta and we didn't have cell service inside the arena. We got outside of the arena and got a, about 1130, almost midnight that night, had gotten an, an email back from one or a text back from one of the agencies that said, we don't know anything about the children in Haiti yet, but there's a little girl that's about to be born in a few hours and we have no idea where, where to take her. Would you guys consider adopting her? And I was like, no, 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 no. Our little boy we got a year ago, he's not even a year old yet. So uh, we'll adopt somewhere down the road again, but not now. And we said, well, we're going to pray about it and we'll, we'll come see her and pray, but we'll pray for her. But we're, that's probably not going to happen. And we saw her and right away, we just knew <laughs> she was our daughter and we took her home that day. And so, uh, yeah, our lives were changed in a great way. We went from three to five within a year. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. As you know, you've heard millions of those stories. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of heartbreak in there, too. There's a lot of uh, adoption uh, stories that don't that haven't gone great. Um, it's such a tough thing. But for us, we've been very fortunate that uh, that our adoptions have worked out in an amazing way and our lives have been blessed. And I think, um, you know, the, just to let some people know who who maybe haven't adopted or fostered before, there's there's this thing, especially when you're adopting down deep inside. When you're first, at least it, this is the way it was with me. Maybe it's not everybody, but for me, I had this kind of weird and just. But but you just think it's the actual way. You you go well. I'm going to love this kid, of course, that I adopt. But I'm not going to love them the same way that I love my biological children. These are biological children from our you know from our bodies, and that's those are our real kids. And so that's, well, you know, maybe we love the adopted ones 85% and that's good enough. And I soon <laughs> learned that that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, I know I've been going on and on, but let me share one quick story and I'll be done. Um, I was after a few months after we'd gotten a manual, our first adoption, uh, I was doing a show in Houston and my mentor called me just to ask how are things, get an update. And I said, Tim, I, I gotta tell you, you know, I don't wanna say that I love him more than my biological children, because I don't love him more, but I love him. There's a deeper thing that's there. And he shared this story with me, and perhaps you know this, that he said in the Old Testament days within the Jewish communities, if you um, if you have a child that got to a certain age, like a young teenager, and that child wasn't doing, acting the way you would want it to, or doing the things that, that you would want a, that child to do, you could actually divorce your child. And he said, but but if you adopted a child, it was illegal. You couldn't divorce your child. That child was, was your responsibility for life. And so when Paul writes in the first chapter of Ephesians that you've been adopted into God's family, that's something our Western minds don't understand. What Paul meant was when you're brought into God's family, he can't divorce you. He can't push you away. You are in his family forever. And so when Tim told me that, I went, man, there is this deeper thing when you when it's that's deeper than a biological thing, when you actually go and say, this is my child, I will bring him or her into my family. And it's an amazing blessing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I soon realized that it's, you know, that's the myth that, that I try to bust everywhere I go is that you're not going to love these adopted children less than your biological children. And I'm not going to say that you love them more, but there is something even deeper uh, within this that, that God does. I would have to agree with you there. Um, what would you say to someone that's hesitant to bring a new child into their home if they're thinking about it, but maybe they're on the fence? 
Well, you know, I, I can understand. We were hesitant for a long time. My wife and I, we went back and forth. There would be moments and, and weeks where she was like, I'm ready, let's do this. And I'd be like, no, not yet. And then we'd flip and I'd go, okay, baby, I'm ready, let's go. And she's like, I don't know now. And we went back and forth with like that for almost a year, maybe longer. And, and so it's not something to rush into. But at the same time, um, you know, I think, and we talked about this before we started this podcast together, that um, there's something for everyone to do. Uh, everyone, not everyone is called to adopt, but everyone I think is called, especially if you're a believer, everyone is called and has that mission um, given to us to do something, to take care of uh, the orphans and, and mm -hmm. widows. And so uh, if someone's hesitant, I would say, you know, there's, there's a reason for, that's a good thing to be hesitant. Uh, and just keep praying. Just keep praying through it, and and God will will open up the doors or close the doors and show show you the answers. And so, I was thankful that once my wife and I got on the same page, we knew that was the time. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so one of the foster families that have adopted asked. Um, they said that their fostering journey brought five children into their home, two of which are biracial, and he knows that your your children are 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 biracial are racial are. A different race. I'm sorry. Uh, so they said, what advice or encouragement could you give them or prospective foster adoptive parents who might be thinking of taking a placement of a child with a different race or ethnicity and then their own? Like, how, how did that impact impact y'all? Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting for us. We knew that, especially when you, you know, you live in the South, <laughs> I, maybe I shouldn't say, especially, I think it's, you know, there's racism everywhere, but, mm -hmm. but in the South, there's that stigma that we're, we're all racist in the South, you know, which is entirely not true. But when you adopt, you know, it's going to raise some eyebrows. Um, when, when you walk in the store or go to a restaurant and you've got a child that's a different color than you, um, it's people are going to wonder and ask questions. And even if they don't ask you, they're going to be thinking things in their head. And so, you know, it, it's for us. And once again, it's every Every family is different. Every situation is, is different. It's been a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm from Alabama, and and when I, we go back and see uh, my cousins and, and family and my little ones are playing with their little ones, uh, I just know growing up there, uh, the words that I said and the way that I felt in my heart when I was a kid, um, and just knowing that them playing with African-American kids that are their cousins now, that's going to make them think different mm -hmm. and have a different heart towards different races. And when they go back to school, they might think twice about the words they use and how they treat other people. And so, you know, that's a, a beautiful thing that, that God's allowed us to be part of to hopefully start tearing down some of those walls of racism and helping everyone to understand we all bleed red. And we're all created in, in God's image, mm -hmm. no matter what our, our skin color is. And so, um, you know, it's not easy, uh, but at the same time, uh, it's something I think that we, uh, many of us can be more intentional about. Absolutely. Um, and this is a foster mom. She asked, what do you think heaven will be like? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's going to be amazing. I mean, as as a person of, of faith that reads the scripture and um, believes in it 100% that there will be no more pain and there'll be no more 
sickness and no more death. And with all that, our life is entirely different. Um, we'll be we'll be drawn not to the selfishness and the sin that we have in our lives, but to the truth and to uh, the light of God. And so, uh, you know, of course, like I was saying earlier, when I was describing that little uh, after school program that that Amy and I worked in, there's different ethnicities and different skin colors and different accents and all of that's going to be um, there together, separate and yet unified. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. And I, I probably, you know, to be honest, if we even think about it, it's going to be a second thought of just going, man, that's so strange that when I was on earth that I had different thoughts about different people from different backgrounds and all these things. And we're going to see uh, all as, us all as children of God and, and, and really understand what that grace and mercy is that we sing about every Sunday. Well, I agree with you totally and so excited to have you. Um, I think we should give folks that are listening. So th this podcast is kind of a new thing for us. We're trying to get more listeners. So I think we should reward our listeners with a 10% discount on tickets to be the difference. What do you think? That sounds great. And you told me that your rap name was what? Mac 10. Mac 10. So if you use the code MAC10 yes. by June 30th, actually, let's throw it out to July 4th. Through July 4th, you can save 10%. And Mac, I cannot wait to meet you in person and hopefully tell you more about our ministry. But I think God's going to do something big on October 8th for children in foster care in the Carolinas. And you were just a little part of that, but so excited that you said yes. And we will see you in October. Well, I'm so excited about being there with you guys. I appreciate you having us. And yeah, it's going to be a blast. Thanks for joining us today for Foster Carolinas. Were you inspired by something you heard today? Well, we want to encourage you to make the next step, whatever that is. Everyone can do something for children in foster care. If you're not sure where to start, go to our website at www.lotcarolinas.com and see what you can do.